Well, these songs and hymns that we've enjoyed singing are great preparation for uh, our new series in Matthew's Gospel, the response uh, that I'm praying for from these chapters in Matthew is uh, adoration and confidence in God. Some of these songs we've sung are, are marvelous. Uh, Graham Kendrick's Meekness and Majesty. One of these not modern songs anymore, but one of the songs written in the last 30 or 40 years that really will stand the test of time. And that uh, wonderful hymn we sang uh, earlier, top of my funeral list still, uh, immortal honors rest on Jesus' head. It's a wonderful hymn that conveys the majesty and authority of Jesus, and yet the matchless grace of God has made all that he has by way of treasure in the gospel ours through faith in him. I wonder if the last verse of that hymn would be a suitable preface and a prayer for this series in Matthew. So let's use it to pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, oh that our souls could love and praise your Son more, his beauties trace, and his majesty adore, to live near his heart and to rest in his love each day, to hear his dear voice and all his will obey. We pray that in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now, our first reading today is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. This passage describes amazing facts about the Lord Jesus that Matthew records in his eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry. Let's read God's word. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, or and Luke, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, literally, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers unto me. 
And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness." In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. And then just flick forward to the very end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus' commission to all his followers. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, these words at the end of Matthew's gospel are a purpose statement of the gospel. It is the imperative. It is the command that we are given after all that has been said in the gospel. And for Christians, individual Christians and churches studying Matthew's gospel, this is our commission, to go and to make disciples, to go and to make committed followers of the Lord Jesus. It is the commission to every Christian. It is the commission to every Christian church. This is every Christian's commission, every church's commission, to go and make disciples of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian studying Mark's gospel, maybe interested, maybe asking questions, but not yet a Christian, studying Matthew's gospel will bring you not face to face with what Christians believe, but face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian faith is faith in him. That's what makes you a disciple, a follower of him. Now, that's the kind of overarching purpose of Matthew's gospel, to commission us or to confront us with the Lord Jesus for our salvation. And this section, 8, 9, and 10, chapters 8, 9, and 10, one 
commentator describes as Matthew's school of evangelism or training for evangelism or mission. Now, in these chapters, there is plenty instruction and encouragement to go and do mission and evangelism. But far more than that, these chapters focus our minds on the authority and the power and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they remind us thereby that it is his mission that we participate in the mission of the king. And so if we think as a church family of our commission to mission in this community, which is real and instructional and exhortational, as soon as we begin to think that it is down to us and our skills and energies and rhetoric and abilities and events to make a significant impact in this community, we will flounder. But if we think that we are engaging in the mission of the King, Jesus, whose mission it is in this community, and that we are called to participate in that, we will not flounder, but we will have confidence in him, in the king's mission. So think of how the commission at the end of Matthew's gospel begins and ends. Don't turn again, just listen to it. How does it begin? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to not you who are doing the mission, all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. And the last words of the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what we're going to learn in Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10 is what all authority in heaven and earth given to Jesus means. And the difference it makes to us as we engage in mission. And the sheer confidence, the promise, and their wonderful words, I am with you always to the very end of the age, gives us. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am with you in mission? What does it mean for our open house weekend when the Lord Jesus says to us, as he does with a direct, not a dotted line today, I am with you. I am with you in mission. And we can apply that in all sorts of ways. I am with you. Andy and Kyrene, I don't know if Andy is here. I think he's here in the service. Kyrene will be here in the next one. As they go, or let me just be direct to you, as you go and plant a church in Charleston, the Lord Jesus, all that he is, is with you. I am with you. And as you and I seek to make it known to our neighbors that we are Christians, we're about to move house again. And we're kind of gathering our strength that this time we might actually quickly engage with our neighbors with the gospel. And what an encouragement. These words are, I am with you. I am with you. 
Or if we read the Bible with someone stumbling over the words, I, with all my authority, am with you. So imagine Chalmers Costa down in the corner. You're reading Mark's gospel. And you're just stumbling over the words. And there's no kind of engagement with the other person. And they're looking like they would rather be anywhere else. I am with you. In your mission. Now look with me first at the king's authority revealed in the first half of chapter 8. The passage in Matthew here is as realistic as uh, any passage in the Bible about the world in which we live and our frail human condition. Three episodes describing sickness and suffering. First, the leper, verses 1 to 4. Now, in Jesus' day, leprosy was the worst illness you could have. The physical symptoms were bad enough, but the exclusion that resulted from family and from society. Imagine if you had never, as a parent, been able to hug your wife or your child or anyone as a leper or see them ever again. And all that you would face as a leper in the ancient world was death. Verses 5 to 14, the Roman centurion's servant. Just look at verse 6. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Literally paralyzed and in terrible agony. The third section, verses 14 to 17, begins with Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Then, verse 16, that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That little phrase at the end, all who were sick. All who were sick. Think of all who are sick in this city this morning, in all the hospitals, in all the uh, care homes, in all the ordinary homes behind the ordinary closed doors, just the same as Capernaum, all who were sick, ordinary people suffering physically, mentally, brought to Jesus so that he might help them. This is the real world, and into this real world of sickness and suffering Jesus came. Verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountains, great crowds followed him. Now, just let me pause and land for a moment on these opening words of Matthew chapter 8. They're so significant for the history of the world. They are so significant for your life, for humanity. These simple words, when Jesus came. Let me just flip the coin. Imagine if that wasn't true, that there were no words in history when Jesus Christ came. When Jesus came, when God's King came, when the Messiah came, when the Son of God walked on the earth, what happened? Behold, verse 2, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Notice Jesus touches him. Remember when, some of you will remember when Princess Diana was alive. Some of the most powerful pictures were Princess Diana holding the hands of people who were suffering with HIV and AIDS. 
Jesus here immediately touches physically the leper. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. I wonder what the crowds made of this in full view of the large crowds which followed him. When the leper appeared first and knelt before the Lord Jesus, they would have shrunk back, afraid to touch him, afraid of contamination. But then they saw Jesus stretch out his hand and do the unthinkable and then cleanse him from his sickness. The king has come. The authority of the king emphatically demonstrated. Then verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers unto me. And I say, go and they go and come and they come and do this and they do it. And the point of that is that this man, this centurion, understood about authority. And he recognized in Jesus the authority of God that with just a word he could heal him. And to the centurion, verse 13, he said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very instant. It is astonishing. Imagine when the centurion went back to the house and the the talk of, I mean, what would they be talking about in the house? This servant being miraculously healed. And at some point later in the evening, they would have got around to what time was it that he got better? And he would have discovered it was the time that Jesus simply said the word. And then verse 15, again, with a touch, the fever leaves Peter's mother-in-law. In verse 16, he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. The point that Matthew is conveying to us in factual history is the king's authority. Now, what do you make of this? If you are a Christian, And I know that some of you will be asking a real heartfelt question because you may be or know somebody who is suffering from the same kind of illnesses as they were and you are not healed. That's coming. But look at his authority. If you were a Christian, it should be to us an affirmation of his identity as God's Messiah King. It should be and is to us an encouragement That this is the one with all that power and authority who is with you in mission. If you are not a Christian, what do you make of this man? It is striking that in the time in which Jesus lived, and there were various people writing, there were countless witnesses. No one disputed the fact of these miracles. What they disputed was the identity of the one who did them. Many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day said he was demon-possessed, an agent of the devil. Now, on Sunday evenings, we've just finished Matthew chapters 5 to 7, Jesus' so-called Sermon on the Mount. It is regarded by Christians and non-Christians alike as one of the greatest speeches in history. It is often quoted, sometimes misquoted, but never, ever attributed to an evil man. So who is the man who did these things, as well as spoke these things. 
He is Jesus, God's king. And all authority is given to him. And therefore, before him, we should bow in humility and in faith. Now, moving on, on the face of it, and I hinted at this just a moment ago because I caught one or two of your eyes and sensed that you were thinking this. On the face of it, there appears to be a major problem for faith and not an intellectual problem, a heartfelt problem that it affects us all. And that is that Jesus doesn't do this stuff anymore. Now, we're not in the first century. And many of the life-threatening illnesses Jesus encountered are no longer threats to us. Leprosy, for example. And we have antibiotics to fight infection. Although, according to newspaper reports yesterday, there's a new superbug Some even claim that one day we will defeat cancer. It is heartening that the head of cancer research in the UK is a fine Christian man who never says that we will beat and defeat cancer. Are we not, in the end, losing a losing battle or fighting a losing battle with the one inevitable and universal conclusion that sooner or later death? Although I did see on the BBC this week on the news that if you cycle to work, you have a 46% less chance of dying. <laughs> Apparently. Think of the astonishing advances in medicine in the last 2,000 years. And yet, what have we faced in the last... 20 years, swine flu, avian flu, SARS, Ebola. One of the most popular and award-winning fly-in-the-wall documentary series on TV is 24 Hours in A&E, filmed in King's College Hospital, London. And what is striking about that program is exactly the same as Matthew chapter 8. Ordinary people, real-life stories, a mother facing the recurrence of a brain tumor, an old lady with life slipping away, a young man with his whole life changed in an instant after a motorcycle accident, human stories, the fragility of life, the interviews with the families, the suffering, the effects on loved ones. And in our church family this past week, we have had our fair share of it, life-threatening conditions, a number of us waiting for good friends to die, Another funeral this week. I wonder how many pills we took as a congregation this morning just to get us through the day. Another day. Another day. Another day. Until the last day, when death finally gets us, if only Jesus would heal us. After all, he can do it with a word or a simple touch. Now, when Jesus came, his kingdom came with him, but not yet in all of its fullness. His kingdom will come in its fullness when he returns at the end of the age. And that day will be a glorious day because on that day there will be a new creation when all disciples of Jesus will be free at last from sickness and pain 
and anxiety and dying and death. Just think how much of your life is taken up with sickness and pain and anxiety and dying and death and fear. And what Jesus did when he walked on the earth shows us what his everlasting kingdom will be like when he comes and it comes in its fullness at the end of the age. And so let me read to you a verse from Revelation. I saw a new heavens and a new earth. He will wipe every... Now, this is Matthew 8. It's exactly the same. And this is for all disciples for all eternity. It just happened there to show us in Matthew 8. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The old order has gone. The world as we know it is gone. Suffering as we know it is gone. It is gone. And that is the promise. That is the future. What a glorious world that will be. You see, Jesus came to forgive our sins and reconcile us to God, but he came to banish forever disease and illness and anxiety and suffering and death. Imagine how that will be. Jesus does not promise miraculous healing now. Anywhere. That doesn't mean that he won't sometimes heal. But he doesn't promise he will. And it is not a matter of the degree of our faith and commitment. And so much damage can be done by Christians claiming promises for this age that are promises for the age to come. He doesn't promise healing now. Because were he to heal us now, and he sometimes does because he has purposes for us, then we will die again. The past week, as many of you know, Andy Robertson's dad was dangerously ill. There was one option. I've asked him if I can say this. One option left to treat his dad, and if that didn't work, they'd run out of options. We all prayed the treatment would work, and we are thankful it did. But if it had not worked, and he had died, the hearts of those who loved him would have been broken, but not their faith. Because Jesus will heal him with everlasting life in the new creation. And thank the Lord that Andy's dad has been patched up a little bit more. But not eternally. As many of you know and have been praying, a very close friend of ours is lying in a hospital bed in Japan, dying of cancer, surrounded by his wife and four boys. These boys are not praying for their dad's healing. They're praying that Jesus would call him home. Yet there are plenty of tears. But day by day, their faith grows stronger and stronger. The kingdom to come. But what of the kingdom now? Jesus came to show us what his kingdom will be like at the end of the age, but what of the present age, what of now? 
In this age, the urgent priority is that men and women be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of their sins. Or let me put it more simply, the urgent priority in this age is that men and women become Christians. You cannot expect or have or ever, ever, ever believe that God can give you an eternity free of sickness and death and suffering and tears if you are not first reconciled to him in the gospel. It's not possible. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. You need to become a disciple. You need to submit to me as your Savior and your Lord. And Jesus could not be more direct than that. All authority is given to me. No one comes to the Father but by me. I alone am the way and the truth and the life. Bow before me. It's what he says. And does that sound like him wielding an axe of authority? He has the right. But then this great king disarms us by what he does. Do you notice right at the end of the section, verse 17, there is a reference to Isaiah. This was to fulfill, verse 17, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's a quotation from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. What is that all about? It is one of the passages in Isaiah's prophecy that speak of God's king, God's Messiah as a servant, a suffering servant who laid down his life. The cost of forgiveness, the cost of life for us was his life. A sinless life laid down. Listen to these words. Surely, this is Jesus on the cross. As he died, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Every sickness, every tear, every day that a Christian lives with cancer or a degenerative life-threatening illness, every day of that suffering, he bore on the cross. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. We, like his sheep, have gone astray. And what that passage is saying to us is that as Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, the greatest Grief and sorrow he bore, great as they are, was the wrath of God for the forgiveness of our sins. And the one who demands you to bow before him, the Messiah King, is the servant King who lays down his life that your sins might be forgiven. And the urgent priority in this age is that we be reconciled to God for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, finally, faith in the King. There are wonderful examples or pictures of faith in this passage. First, the leper. Matthew says that the leper knelt before Jesus. It's the same word that is used for the magi or wise men in Matthew 2 and verse 11. They fell down and worshipped him. It's the same word. The leper was recognizing the divine authority of Jesus. 
That's why he said, not if you can, but if you will. For everyone, trusting Jesus means recognizing first his divine authority. And Jesus' encounter with the man who had leprosy is such a powerful, profound, personal illustration of saving faith. The man had no doubts that Jesus was able to heal him, was able to cleanse him. The question in this man's mind was whether Jesus was willing to heal him. You know, that's a very genuine position people reach when they are close to saving faith in Jesus. They become aware of the authority of the king, and their heart is convicted to ask the question, is the Lord Jesus willing to save me? If it never crosses your mind on the threshold of salvation, that he needs to be willing, you've not understood the gospel. And to every person who humbly bows before the Lord Jesus, his answer is that he is willing. The Roman centurion, his awareness who Jesus is, his humility before the king, his confidence in the authority of the king. What a picture this Roman centurion is of simple, sincere, trusting faith. Sometimes we complicate Christian faith. Simple, sincere, trusting faith in Jesus. Just with a word, Jesus. Peter, his mother-in-law, she gets up from her bed with a fever and cooks the dinner. Faith equals service. And finally, for us this morning, what confidence this gives us in the mission of the king. Who is the king for? For all people. For the leper, for the Roman centurion, for his servant, for Peter's mother-in-law, for the residents of Capernaum. That's a pretty comprehensive list. The excluded, the Gentile, the ordinary, to which we might readily add our name And let's remember that those we might regard in our day as outsiders like the leper are definitely insiders as far as Jesus is concerned. It did strike me over the Easter weekend, and many of you invited folks to church. If you were to take that group of people who came along to church, invited, they were, they were, they were, I'm trying to think of the right word, an odd bunch. You would never, ever have picked that group. No chance. No one is excluded from the universal condition of humanity that is estranged from God. No one is excluded from the authority of Jesus to call them home into his kingdom. Many, Jesus says, will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And imagine when you heard these words back then and think of how astonishingly true that promise has been fulfilled 2,000 years later. Who did the king come from? Everyone. Jesus is the king for the nations. So look everywhere and anywhere for people God might be calling into his kingdom. Often people we would never think of 
or think that God would never think of. Those you invite to the open weekend, be expansive and generous in your invitations. Remember Jesus' words, I am with you. It expands our horizons in evangelism. And it conveys to us urgency. Notice verse 12, the consequences of rejecting the king. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me just not fudge this sentence. Those who look like they are on the inside might well be on the outside. What is the eternal consequence of those who reject Jesus? Not a creation without tears and pain, but literally an eternity in hell which is perpetual grief and perpetual agony. So please, I appeal to you, if you are hovering on the edge of salvation, do not choose that. Imagine the day when you arrive in eternal hell and there is no door out. But there's a door in now to heaven. The king is for everyone. The king's message of salvation is urgent. And remember, it is the king's mission. And all the authority of God is behind it. And so Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father God, we pray that no one in this building this morning will bargain their eternity for human pride or procrastination, but that you would now, at this moment, if we are not yet Christians, Bring us by your Holy Spirit under conviction of sin that we might yield our lives to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, if we have been put off Christianity by the church over the years, as many have, not to confuse that with Christ. Lord, help us by your Spirit to cry out to you for forgiveness. Yield our lives to you. And having done so, to go and make disciples of all nations confident in the authority and mission of the King. Lord, for those of us here this morning who are sick or dying, or just growing old slowly, or frightened. For those of us who took a pile of pills this morning just to keep us through a day, Lord, what a marvelous, marvelous thing it is to know that one day, in the new creation, all of that will be gone. So keep us persevering. Keep us strong. Keep us faithful and keep us singing until 
our songs on this earth are mingled with the songs of all the saints in glory. We pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.